Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks with John Caddick. It's the best. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, blues, and metal music scene. Episode 53, we're going to do kind of breaking our own rule. Most of the time, what we do is uh, focus on bands that are either coming to Pittsburgh or coming from Pittsburgh. Uh, Bands that have gone on to some national success and bands that are coming to Pittsburgh that are uh, national acts. In this episode, we're going to do kind of a caveat. As many of you know, KISS will be coming to the First Niagara Pavilion on July 29th. Well, we took the opportunity to speak to former KISS guitarist Bruce Kulik. Uh, Bruce, you may have remembered, stepped in uh, right after the recording of Animalize, which featured the hit Heavens on Fire, and stayed with the band uh, clean through to their... Uh, makeup reunion in 1996. He played on the Carnival of Souls record, which was the last album to feature a non-makeup version of Kiss. Uh, so Bruce is certainly part of the Kiss family. He was with the band for 12 years. He's got a new solo album out. came out in February of this year called BK3, which features a ton of uh, kind of friends of his and some uh, idols even in some respects. So before we get into the interview, we're going to play a song from the BK3. This song is called Dirty Girl. It features Doug Figer on vocals. The name may not ring a bell, but he was the singer of The Knack, who had the hit My Sharona. Sadly, uh, Doug passed away in February of 2010, almost uh, right around the exact same time that BK3 came out. Uh, but I really think this is probably the bright, brightest spot on BK3. A really, really cool kind of pop rock song. So this is Dirty Girl from Bruce Kulick's BK3. She's so intoxicated I hate the game she's playing I don't know what time it is anymore Always keeps me waiting I'm anticipating The way she makes me crazy Things that make her eyes light up 
you um and, and talk a little bit about your latest uh solo release if you can kind of call it that there's a lot of uh, collaborations on that album uh dk3 right. um but if i could just before we get into um the new record just wanted to kind of to, you've had some things i mean obviously your career with kiss is very well documented but um things you did before kiss that were actually i kind of found interesting you kind of Got your first big break, am I right, with, with Meatloaf's band? Is that a fair statement, or was there something prior to Meatloaf? That's kinda... Well, I mean, I toured with a disco artist, but he wasn't as famous as doing, like, an arena tour, like the Meatloaf mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah, the Meatloaf thing was my first real experience with, like, touring, you know, going from clubs, obviously just starting off into uh, arenas and traveling the whole world. You know, we, we, we went over to Europe and we went to uh, Australia. It was quite exciting, of course. Did you get did you get into the band? I you were in the band with your brother Bob, that's correct? Yeah, Bob and I were the dual guitarists uh in okay. um in in Meatloaf's band, yep. Were you with Meatloaf kind of before Bad Out of Hell blew up and became the phenomenon it was? Because I know he kind of had to pound the pavement a lot. Uh he and Jim right. get that album off the ground. Were well, you what, kind of what, in it from the beginning? No, what happened was, you know, they had their concept. They did a a record. Um, it was very hard for them to get it signed. Okay, hmm. um, and then finally somebody believed. Uh, you know, which was uh, really an independent kind of 
new label, but part of Epic, you know, which is of course CBS, you know, and uh, and then all of a sudden he realized he had a tour, so he put a band together. And, uh, Bob and I grew up in New York, and that's where they were based. And uh, the next thing you know, it really took us performing at the CBS convention, you know, for for Columbia Records back then, for them to like really commit, you know. And once they really committed, and then radio started to take off, the thing just blew up, you know. So I was involved with all of the Bad Out of Hell performances from that original, uh, from that album, but I had nothing to do with the record. That was all Todd Rundgren's production and guitar playing. But my value for that was the fact that I um, really liked Todd Rundgren's guitar playing, and I kind of, you know, picked out the parts. Sure. Of course, you yeah. know, we did the dueling guitar kind of thing, much like what Alice Cooper had with Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter and Lou Reed had with those guys, too. So that was kind of the way Bob and I approached working with Meatloaf. Yeah, and then you've got, you actually toured with Jim as part of the Ben Jim Simon, for those not familiar. You toured, yeah. he was in the touring band at that time? Yeah, I think he only lasted about a half a year, to be honest with you, you know, and then they yeah. got a... You know, he just realized, oh, I don't need to do this anymore. We're selling millions of records. <laughs> yeah. You know, but... uh are working on the sequel. Very talented guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then, mm-hmm. I mean, the rest of Meat Love's story is pretty pretty fascinating, yeah. of course, with all the ups and downs. But uh, it was a good experience for me. And, you know, just late last year, actually, um, they realized that they had a um, German TV show that we performed... Um, uh, a pretty big set on, and uh, they released it as a DVD, so that's available now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I've seen several of Meat's more current DVDs, and I've had the opportunity to see a, a more recent version than Neverland Express. Right. Uh, for a minute, it's it's still a great show for those yeah. who haven't had. Yeah. Yeah. No, he always has good bands and all. It's just this was the, uh, I think they call it the original, you know, something like that, the original, you know, because it was the first tour, and that was when he was. Uh, Really conquered the world, shall I say? Yeah, absolutely. And then you spent some time with Billy Squire and then Michael Bolton. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Michael Bolton prior to uh, what he kind of became famous for. Yep. He was a uh, rocker at that point. And then is that when Kiss kind of came calling, or, or you ended up with Kiss? Is that well? What happened was um, first I had a band with Michael Bolton called Blackjack, and okay. um, we did two records for Polydor which became Polygram, of course. And that was a really good experience for me. And Michael and I uh, really had big ambitions, and we were signed with some major people. Uh, And, you know, we sell 100,000 records, and they were like, oh, that's a failure, you know, which is kind of funny by even now standards, you know. Oh, yeah. 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 But, um, you know, there was a period of time where uh, when we were doing the second record, actually, I, I was introduced to Billy, uh, Bob couldn't do the session, my brother, and uh, I wound up doing the session. So, uh, And Billy really liked me, and he actually asked me to go on tour with him. Now, this was for the tail of the tape, which was the first Billy Squire solo record. And I kind of stayed loyal to Blackjack, my band with Michael, even because I thought we were going to tour, and then we didn't tour. So I kind of like okay. sat there, no gig, uh, no tour, yeah. no band, and Billy goes off on tour, you know, and then he puts together yeah. a second record and becomes like a superstar, you know what I mean? Exactly. He so for, on the second yeah. album. So for a couple of years, I played with a local tri-state area band, you know, I'm talking about New York, New Jersey, Long Island area, called the Good Rats. Had some really good people in the band. but uh, And then Michael put back uh, his solo career, still doing rock, but as a solo artist, okay? 
and I wound up you know joining him and uh yeah. we we toured a bit and that's how I actually met Don Brewer from Grand Funk cuz he was the drummer now in uh, Bob Seger yeah. we did dates with Bob Seger now um Billy was huge so I felt like Ugh, you know I missed that but it was interesting because if I would have stayed with Billy Squire I probably wouldn't have been ready for Kiss so um I did that work with Michael in 83 uh after also playing guitar on that solo record his first kind of rock looking solo record and of course later on he changed direction but um I wound up doing a session for um Kiss around June of 84 and uh, yeah. Paul said something like don't cut your hair and I didn't know what was up I knew they weren't something was going on with their new guitarist Mark St. John so and the rest was it was great that I was available and and looking for something and when when he called me just to fill in for Mark St. John basically uh, I was thrilled over the moon about that, and then of course it turned into uh, 12 years. Yeah, that certainly paid off in the long run. Now, oh yeah. Um, is, is there a reason that um, I, I know Kiss had originally shown some interest in, in Bob uh, prior to Ace coming to the mix? Is there a reason that they didn't go with Bob and, and went with you, or is that was Bob doing other things at the time? Or um, from what I understand. Um, Bob was very valuable to them in a certain way as like a session guitarist, but I don't think they ever saw him as a band member. Okay, you know he had, didn't have the look. Uh, probably had too much kind of like New York studio experience, if you know what I mean. So yeah. it was pretty natural for me to, to to walk in there. And Bob actually used to tell them that I would be good. And now that experience, I know. I mean, like as going back to even like the the Animalized Live at that time it was the VHS uh, and that was I believe pretty early on in your stint with them what what kind of experience is that like I mean obviously probably being with Meatloaf on tour probably helped prepare you for that insanity but I mean yeah. was that enough to prepare you for what that you I'm know, really grateful for the meat, yeah the Meatloaf gig and doing arena touring made me very easy to fall into the Kiss shoes okay because um, I think if you're only used to playing clubs or things like that, uh, I think I think you know doing the arena gigs could be quite overwhelming. You know, um, yeah. So I was exactly. really grateful for that. Yeah. And uh, all right, in Europe, some of the venues aren't all looking like arenas. Some of them are like you know these like really fancy big theaters in some of the old cities. You know, but by the time, of course, we got to America, there we are. You know, rehearsing in Allentown at the you know whatever sport arena they had going then and, you know, touring in the arenas. So um, it, uh, it it was a good experience for me having the meatloaf thing under my belt, there's no doubt. And, and did you feel um, kind of pressure? I mean, kind of, obviously, Mark St. John was in between you and Ace, and I was Vinnie Vincent as well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, did, did you still feel kind of the, the shadow of, of Ace kind of cast upon you or was, you just kind of get that out of your head, and the, the fact you weren't one makeup at this point did that kind right. of help? Well, what was interesting was that the band was like having such newfound success without the makeup, with the you know kind of like importance of MTV. Then that, of course, we did some vintage material. Um, Kiss always has to, you know, but um, the focus wasn't so much on the makeup and so much about Ace. Um, obviously, in time, you know. You know, the diehards, some of them just, like, left the band completely without the makeup, and, and they got a whole different crowd, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but 
I was always aware, especially as years went on, the importance of, of course, the original members and um, the fact that I wasn't naive in thinking that they would never put it on. I knew that at some point they probably, you know, um, put the makeup back on, and I was right about that, you know. So, um, you know, quite honestly, um, it didn't bother me at first because the band kind of reinvented itself, you know, without it being too important. But as we were leaning towards the convention tour and everything towards the end, it was pretty obvious that, that, you know, now it was 20 years, you know. So, um, you know, since the start of the makeup band taking off, kind of, it was 95, and uh, it it was a good time for them to realize that uh, it's now or never. These guys are crazy, but they need us. You get get what I mean. So, uh, you know, off it went. And obviously it was a a smart move for them. Yeah, from a business standpoint, do you Mm -hmm. see, I mean, I've often wondered because I I know a lot of people that are somewhat nostalgic, on on, kind of on the other side of the equation, nostalgic for the Mm -hmm. non-makeup. Do you see a day where that might, that may come back and, you know, hey, we're kind of tired of doing you know, the same set over and over again with the makeup, hey, let's call Bruce and, and dust off Crazy Night. Right. I, I mean, I, as much as I see the value in it and some fans do, I'm not sure if any promoter will. Um, I think they think of Kiss now as just makeup and and that people just want to hear makeup era material. Um, and they do it well, of course, with Eric and Tommy. Um, mm. I mean, there's no doubt to me that Eric and I could you know, kick out revenge, great, or some stuff like that. But uh, I think what keeps them separate of everything else is is them, you know, in the makeup and everything. Not not that a revenge era type of tour wouldn't be exciting, but um, I don't, I I just don't really think that Gene and Paul b- believe that that's worth anything. Yeah, at least not at this stage when it's it's kind of taken over Walmart and things. I mean, mm-hmm. they've become very successful again at what they do. Um, you went on post Kiss um, to a, a pretty nice little collaboration with John Karabi Union. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys uh, put together several albums, I believe, um, together. And I know he shows up on BK3 um, to kind of bring that back around. Is Union kind of just on the shelf, or is you guys kind of just decided for a while to go to rest, or is this something we may see down the well, road? Well, I've, I've been real fortunate, obviously, that John. And I, you know, we've remained close through the years, and the fact that we were able to do uh, something on Transformer, the second solo record of mine, and then what I feel is some of our best work is uh, that No Friend of Mine from BK3. Yeah. But, you know, people ask, obviously, lots of times when I'm doing the interviews for this, um, you know, promoting my my new record about Union, and, you know, the truth was it, it just kind of, it was a real struggle for us back in 99-2000 to continue you know, and that's when, you know, I was fortunate enough to find the Grand Funk gig and then started doing some solo records, you know. John is going to do some touring now, and I know he'll run into, you know, Union fans, that, and I'm sure he'll do some Union material, and that's all great. And mm-hmm. um, But until really the right opportunity comes along, um, uh, I'm not sure if we, we would actually do another Union record, per se. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a great chemistry with John, so it's not a, not hard to write and do stuff like that with him and be creative with him but um again it's it's uh it's hard he moved also to nashville so and then you know every year or two we get a chance to um do dates with uh eric singer as the yeah. esp eric singer project and we you know, we do some union material that way too you know so i'll always kind of 
keep the door open for working with John, whether or not I could tell you that obviously that there would really be a union record. I don't know. Okay. Um, now getting into to your newest album, you, you've done three solo albums. That I believe correct. And mm-hmm. BK3 being the most recent, which uh, came out was it early February. this year? 2000? Yeah, February 2010. Yeah. And and you've got probably 50-50, give or take, songs you're singing on with um, yourself and then songs where you've got guest vocalists. Right. Um, Writing-wise, did you, you know, for example, with um, the John Corrales songs, did you write with the, the guests or did you write for the guests? You know, similar well, to how, like, Ash's new album, did you kind of tailor the songs to who was going to be working with them or did you find people and make them fit the spot? I mean, um, it's a good question because uh, everything was very organic how it all got going. And, uh, for example, um, when Jeremy, the guy who produced the record for me, and I started writing material, we just wanted to write great material. We didn't necessarily write with any 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 name, any idea of like who would sing this in our mind. You know, it was always a situation of uh, just having a great song, you know. Um, certainly, some of the material was obvious that I'm not going to sing it. So that was mm-hmm. pretty obvious to, to um, you know, uh, well, who would be right for this? And then you want to put that hat on and try to figure out the smart, um, you know, way to do that. And certainly a couple of them were pretty clear that since John would like to be involved, and he expressed that, that he'd be the right guy, you know. Um, the Gene song came about, we already had that song. We had a different song, rather, uh, that we hoped Gene would want to collaborate on, but we wrote something brand new for him you know, with him. And the song that we kind of wrote thinking Gene would jump into actually turned out to be the song Tobias wrote. So you see what I mean? There was never really a formula about it, just us trying to write great material and then putting the right, you know, you know we didn't want to put the square peg in the round hole, if you know what I mean. So we, we, we found, you know, the right person. Specifically Dirty Girl. Um, mm-hmm. you, did, you did with Doug from the NAC, who unfortunately passed away Almost right around the time your album came out. Yeah, was he involved in writing that song? Or was that was that all you guys? You know, uh, well, we like, offered it to him to be honest, and he actually said, you know, um, you guys just finish the lyrics. You know, go ahead and finish it. So, okay. and that's the only of the co-writes of the featured guests. I mean, I had um, Steve Lukather jam guitar with me on the instrumental, but the uh, of the singing featured guests. He was the only one that chose not to, you know, need to be in, involved with the, the the lyric content, you know. Yeah, which would have been, as a person listening to the song, I would have guessed the exact opposite because it's such a a very catchy kind of hooky mm-hmm. song, uh, probably the most so on the record, and you happen to have the guy from the Knack. I would right. have thought, okay, to collaborate on that one. Yeah, uh, well, I we already had a lot of ideas for the lyrics, and then when we said to him, you know, what do you want? Do you want to help finish it? You know, he was like, no, you can get, you can just finish it. I love the song. So he already knew kind of like where Jeremy and I were headed with it, but he didn't didn't feel like he, he needed to. Maybe he doesn't like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I never worked with Doug other than having him sing the song, you know what I mean? Um, he might be one of those guys that just likes to write a song on his own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some some people are different that way, and I don't know that, but I'm just saying uh, it might have been that reason. Intimidating to uh, jam with Steve Lukather? Absolutely, the guy's a monster, and uh, you know, I was honored to, um, you know, obviously 
have him on my record, you know, and that came about very innocently too, where I needed some help with some studio that I knew he knew about, and he wound up giving me the, um, you know, the contact number, and then when we said, hey, let's go do, um, um, you know, um, lunch, we'll catch up, you know, and it turned out that um, he, you know, when I asked him, hey, you want to play on my record? You know what I mean? He was like, he was cool with it, you know. Um, and I was really, really happy about that, obviously. He, he's a very sweet guy, a very humble, um, and and extremely talented, as as everyone knows, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you can't almost understate how talented he is, yeah. Now, you're, um, in addition to the album, you're doing uh, touring, you're in the touring version of Grand Funk Railroad now. That's kind of, does that keep you busy all year round, or are they uh, more of a summer touring act? Um, it's busiest in the summer, but we can gig in any month of the year, you know, but it's all fly in and out dates. We don't get on the bus and say goodbye to the families, you know, but, um, we're, we're entering our really busy season. So I'll be flying a lot, you know what I mean? But terrific band. And, uh, uh, you know, we, you know, we've kept busy pretty much this spring more so than usual, which I'm really grateful for, you know? Um, but truthfully, um, now is the season, and that's all good, you know. This season for uh, classic rock, right? Which is always a good thing. Yeah. All right, Bruce. I want to thank you uh, so much for taking the time out of your schedule to uh, talk to us. Um, it's been a thrill. As a as a kid, I remember Animalized Live, like I said, and I've been uh, a fan of yours since day one. Thank We're always rooting for you. So I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. No problem. I appreciate your help. And uh, make sure you remind everybody about Kulik.net, K-U-L-I-C-K.net. Will do. All right, man.
in my dream Broken my sword and my soldier Well surrendered I should be dead But your face just won't leave my head Watch the stars as they align Wings of jet black Never look back Watch as the sky turns red track off of BK3, Bruce Kulik's uh, latest album. That song was called Hand of the King. Now, without telling you um, who it is, it would be pretty tough to guess. That is actually Nick Simmons, uh, Gene Simmons' son. Uh, Those of you who are familiar with the show Family Jewels certainly know who Nick is. Um, Even knowing who uh, Nick was on this album when I heard that song, it didn't occur to me that that was actually Nick singing on that song. So, Really kind of a neat track. I think a really cool song, too. So I invite you to check out BK3. There's uh, tracks featuring Gene Simmons, uh, obviously the bass player of Kiss, John Karabi, who was a singer of Motley Crue uh, for a period of time, and also a guitarist in Rat, uh, Tobias Samet, who uh, is a singer of Ed Guy, uh, Eric Singer plays on a track, Eric, the current drummer of Kiss, also the drummer of Kiss, while... Uh, Bruce was in the band, and then a song featuring Steve Lukather, who um, 
Many people who aren't kind of familiar with uh, guitar music may not recognize the name. He was the uh, guitarist in Toto, but uh, I don't think that Toto necessarily did Steve's talent justice when it came to his guitar playing ability. So um, if you're a fan of guitar music, Steve Lukather and uh, Bruce do a really cool instrumental on that album as well. So you can get the album at Kulik.net. Uh, i got a pretty cool uh, way to buy the album. The album is available autographed and shipped for $15 if you pay with PayPal. So again, that's Kulik.net. Get yourself a copy of BK3. Uh, we want to thank uh, Bruce for taking the time to come on the show. We hope you enjoyed this slight departure from the Iron City Rocks podcast. We invite any comments or criticism to our website, www.ironcityrocks.com. You can use the contact link. You can also follow us on Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, etc., etc. So until the next time, we hope you enjoy the show. <laughs>